0: Hello, welcome to Abilities, Opportunities, and the Future of Work, a podcast intended to showcase best-in-class practices on burning issues related to disability and employment. I'm Nasha Ely, Business Relations Consultant with the Business Network Division of Michigan Rehabilitation Services, Michigan Department of Labor and Economic Opportunity, and I'm co-hosting this podcast with Dr. Sriram Narayanan, Professor of Supply Chain Management at Michigan State University. Hi. Each episode, we will be having conversations with employees, employers, firms, community organizations, not-for-profits, and other state organizations that are doing outstanding work in integrating individuals with disabilities into the workforce and allow them to share their experience and stories. This production is a collaboration between the Eli Broad College of Business at Michigan State University and Michigan Rehabilitation Services. Collaborators for this episode include the Michigan Diversity Council, Comcast, and Genesis the Church. Our first episode is a single conversation divided into two parts. We all know how difficult COVID-19 has been for all of us. This has been especially difficult for individuals with disabilities working during COVID-19. Throughout episodes one and two, we want to focus on how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted work for individuals with disabilities. What you are about to hear is part one of that conversation, so be sure to continue the discussion by downloading episode two of Abilities, Opportunities, and the Future of Work. We have three guests joining us this episode. Today, we are joined by Darlene King from the National Diversity Council, Amanda Hines from Genesis the Church, and Jennifer Zapp from Comcast. <laughs> Take a moment to let each guest more fully introduce themselves.
1: Thank you, Nasha, uh, and thank you for this opportunity. So Darlene King um, with the National Diversity Council. I am the executive director in the Michigan region uh, for the National Diversity Council. Our primary focus and goal really is assisting organizations in the space of workplace DE&I which individuals with disabilities is a huge component of the work that we do in supporting organizations in helping them to understand the importance, number one, of increasing their pipeline for candidates that uh, identify with a disability, but then also to ensure that organizations understand what it means internally to support those with a disability through reasonable accommodations, hiring practices, so on and so forth. And so that is who we are as an organization. And I am a consultant. So I consult Fortune 100, 500 organizations and companies, as well as for-profit and nonprofits in the space of this work.
0: Thank you, Darlene. And uh, Jennifer, would you like to introduce yourself?
2: Hi, my name is uh, Jennifer Zapp. I am actually an employee with Comcast. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm actually participating in this podcast as someone who has a disability. I have a mental illness disability. Um, Currently I'm diagnosed with bipolar, although they go back and forth between bipolar and OCD. Um, I am a U of M graduate in economics and I have worked in a ton of different industries from law and economics and aerospace and digital customer experience. I now work for Comcast as a business process improvement manager and I use customer experience metrics to improve the experience of our customers. And just a little bit about me and some of the functional limitations and barriers that impact my work. While I've always done fairly well in my work, I certainly, as a result of my illness, I can't work at the pace that I used to now that I take a lot of medications that sort of keep me on a more even keel. I was a serious workaholic in my earlier years, which I didn't realize was likely a sign of like that OCD manic illness. And so I would really really like to work really, really hard. So now that I've been diagnosed and I'm medicated, I'm a bit more even key and I certainly can't work at the same pace that I used to. I have some other challenges that I think we'll talk about further in the podcast that, you know, my company has been great about addressing. um, and, And hopefully that's how other people can feel included and have purpose with a supporting employer.
0: Thank you so much, Jennifer.
2: And then we have Amanda
3: Hines. Thank you for having me. Um, Thank you, Nasha. Um, My name is Amanda Hines. I am the communications lead at Genesis Church, and I'm a veteran. I'm a disabled veteran, and I also have a diagnosis um, that, you know, of course, you pair with or partner with throughout your life. Um, Most of my um, disability is physical, physical in the Respect that it's my back and my hips and my ankle and feet. So it, you know, it pretty much takes over my day, anything that I do. So I have um, thankfully been able to step into the workforce working from home. So I can take breaks whenever I need. I have very understanding employers. Um, Therapy and medication is wonderful. Um, So, you know, that's where I am. Oh, and I'm an author, and I don't know if I said that or not.
0: So I believe um, a couple of you kind of mentioned, I think it was Jennifer, some accommodations and strategies, a little bit in the workplace. But what, if any, accommodations or strategies do you use in the workplace um, as it relates to your disability?
1: And if you haven't already discussed, what is your disability? Thanks, Nasha. So what I didn't disclose and then in the start of this is that I also have a disability as well. And I have a visual disability. Uh, About six years ago, I completely lost my eyesight Uh, and I was blind for about two years. And it was a devastating um, experience to say the least. And the doctors indicated that I would never receive my eyesight back. But when my eyesight did come back it came back with what I refer to as a constant reminder of the blessing that I was able to get my sight back is the fact that I have a depth perception issue. So that means that when I get to stairs or if it's raining profusely outside and I'm driving, uh, I spent many a days uh, when my eyesight first came back under Vidox driving from a meeting or going here or going there um, because you cannot, the rain already distorts your depth perception. And so if you have a depth perception issue and then the rain on top of it, it's just a culmination of just mad fear when you're driving on the road. And so it was so very important for me to be able to find a job and that would allow me to be able to have the accommodations that if there was a meeting or if I needed to be somewhere and it rained, that I would be able to be excused from that. There have been times when I've had to catch an Uber because I had an event going on and I was the keynote speaker or something to that degree where in order to get there because I couldn't drive. And so it was very um, instrumental to me that when I did, began to get out on the trail to look for a organization to work for, that it would be one that would be able to understand what my disability was. Um, Luckily, the National Diversity Council understood. And so this whole new notion of working from home, I've been working from home for about six years now. (laughs) maybe about five years now, um, I've been working from home. And so that was just a blessing to me that they were able to accommodate me in that arena and that they knew that my skill set would be instrumental to the growth of the organization, but they were willing to support me. So that was um, beyond um, important to me. And I think that organizations need to really understand the lack of talent that they miss out on, um, the lack of opportunity that they miss out on by looking at only one aspect of that person's intersectionality um, and looking only at that one um, instant because if you meet an individual with a disability, you've met that one individual with that one disability. You can't put them all in the same you know, category. So it was just so very important to me that they had an appreciation for those with disabilities. They were willing to accommodate and we've been able to do some amazing things um, because of it. So I encourage organizations to take a hard pause and figure it out. How mm-hmm. can you really provide those accommodations for uh, so that you can in, ensure that your organization has growth and, growth and advancement? Darling, thanks for sharing.
0: And I actually didn't know your visual disability. So I appreciate you um, being here today. Yeah, with, with the accommodations, it sounds like you have uh, definitely working from home has been a, a good strategy. Are there any other things that you would say, even if they're formal like you do them yourself to accommodate um are there things that you do to make sure that the depth perception isn't a barrier
1: when you're working yeah so you know i I do um i i I am i have turned into a weather watcher I am constantly, you know, I'm on the weather channel or I'm on my cell phone, just trying to predict the weather, um, you know, having a conversation with the, with, you know, with the higher power, like, okay, Lord, what, what is it going to be? You know, is it going to rain today? Is it going to be sunny today? You know, what is it? Um, and so I try my best to um, do as much as I possibly can to ensure that I won't get, um, you know, that I don't allow my disability to interfere as much as possible. Even though I know I have the support of my organization, and even though I know that they are well aware, I still do everything that I can possibly do. And so, for example, pre-COVID, Um, We do an enormous amount of educational programming conferences and workshops. And so it is so very important to be able to be present was, you know, to be present at those events. And so if I knew it was going to rain, I would personally make accommodations for myself to be able to ensure that I could get there, whether it was an Uber or whether it was a boyfriend, you know, or whether it, you know, whatever it was to be able to help me to, you know, do my job and do it to the best of my ability. And so I think that it is important to understand that this reasonable accommodation and working with individuals with disability is a two-way street. It is a collaboration and it is a partnership and it is our responsibility to self-identify to our organization so they'll know what our challenges are, but then it's also our responsibility as well to not use our disability as a crutch. When Mm -hmm. we have the opportunity to not allow that disability to interfere, what can we do in order to keep that disability from interfering with us? And sometimes it's not always the case. Sometimes the elements just win but I think that the partnership and the collaboration and the communication and understanding is, is key. Because when people know what's going on and you communicate, then you're, you're able to come up with some better solutions. So that's, that's what I do. I try to ensure as much as possible um, that I'm doing my part as well. And then when there are times when I just have no control, I just have no control. OK, thank you so much, Darlene. You're welcome. So, Jennifer, what, if
0: any, strategies do you utilize or what reasonable accommodations do you have in place in your workplace?
2: Um, So this year has been pretty unique for me. I had actually quite a few medication changes to get stabilized following a serious mood episode earlier this spring. So I did get to use some Family Medical Leave Act time and some short-term disability time. I was very lucky to have and currently do have mental health benefit coverage at Comcast. So, my psychiatry costs, my psychologist costs are covered. A lot of my medications are covered, which is a huge um, benefit. Part of my work functional challenges, like in the day to day, can often be things like focusing on tasks or memory and distraction. I do use a software called Smartsheet to help me keep on task and sort of prioritize things and track my work. Um, and I've just been really lucky in that my coworkers and leaders have been supportive from a an emotional perspective when I'm having a rough day they're they're a bit more flexible they're a bit more understanding um, and that makes a world of difference when it comes to you know getting through those challenging days.
0: Okay, do you have any uh, formal accommodations in place with your with your organization.
2: I do have intermittent FMLA in place as a result of my mental illness. Okay. Um, and, and I use that for things like. You know, if I'm having just a day where I just, I can't, can't get out of bed. It isn't going to happen. This is a, you know, I have some, some pretty dark depressions some days. Um, I use that. I try to be very thoughtful about using it. I never want to abuse that time. I often will use it for, if I have to have a psychiatrist appointment or a psychologist appointment during the day, a lot of times those, those doctors aren't available after work hours or on weekends. So you do have to take that time during the work day to have those appointments. It's actually been great with COVID because a lot of those are now telemedicine. It saves me a lot of travel time and it interferes a lot less with my work. So that's been actually a big benefit for me in, in the sense that I can have those appointments um, virtually.
0: Thank you so much. Do you have anything else to share about those strategies or that kind of sums it up?
2: For me, the, the most important thing when it comes to work has been being open about it and allowing people, it, it, So it's admitting a huge vulnerability, mm-hmm. but it's allowed people to support me and I've needed that support. And, you know, it's hard to admit you need help sometimes or that you can't do it all and that you have to rely on others. And that's extremely difficult for anyone to yes. have to say, but when you have a disability to be as able as you can, sometimes you have to lean on others and allow them to help you. And that I think is the biggest struggle with the disability, right? Because yeah. you, you feel like you're, you burden, and you have to get over that mindset Um, so that you can be the best you you can be and contribute to others because you do have things to offer.
0: Exactly. Okay, thank you, Jennifer. So Amanda, what strategies or reasonable accommodations um, do you have with your work?
3: I feel like Jennifer and I are kindred spirits, Um, but I think having a strong support system is very important. Um, My disability, physical disability came from being in the military and working for hours, bending over, um, standing up, you know, too long and and not saying anything, not saying, hey, this is uncomfortable for me, you know, Um, but now I think I'm able to speak up more and say, um, I need a little time. Um, I need to most of the time I'm working from home. So the accommodations are mostly from my family versus you know, <laughs> uh, versus um, my job because I have flexible hours. I can work when I want because um, I'm able to schedule things out because like I said, I do communications, a lot of the social media marketing and um, things of that nature. So I'm able to work when I, when I can. Um, I just know that I need to take breaks. I, I sleep with a heating pad every night. I have a massager that I use probably every day just to loosen the muscles. Um, I wear, wear, um, shoes, certain shoes, you know, that are helpful for my flat feet and things like that. But for my job, they, they know what's going on and they know about my, um, about my physical disabilities and limitations, so they just allow me to tell them what it is that I can do today um, versus doing it tomorrow. So that's that's really really been helpful for mental. Um, for like my diagnosis, having understanding people around you and supportive people is life. Mm-hmm. You know, for someone to and and. And like Jennifer said, it's very hard to ask for help. It's very hard to be vulnerable. So you need people around you that do not need you to necessarily be honest. They can look at you and say, I know you're in this place and I'm with you, I'm here. And so it's it's a lot, it's just really good to have a good support system.
0: And I don't know about Jennifer and Darlene, but Amanda, I know you don't often share your story. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) uh, I don't know if you said it before, but what is your diagnosis? Um, Anxiety
3: and depression. Mm -hmm. And the physical also? Oh, physical, Um, it's a plethora. Um, I um, I have back, I have sciatica, I have flat feet. I have arthritis in both hips. I had to have um, a hysterectomy because of um, issues and because of a surgery that was done in the military. And yeah, so life is great. <laughs> it was, a lot of that adds to um, the depression and the anxiety. It can yep. be very hard.
0: Thank you, Amanda. Uh,
4: thank you, Amanda and Jennifer. I think uh, uh, we, we, we... We, we also wanted to ask you, what are the challenges and concerns that are associated with disclosing your disability to your employer or coworkers, and how has COVID-19 impacted these challenges? Uh, maybe we can take them as separate questions, or um, uh, Amanda, would you like to go first and, and talk a little bit about that? Thank you so much.
3: It may be strange to say, but Nasha knows me, this is just honesty. It's very personal and I feel judged. Um, As a woman of color who was raised in the South, it is one, not acceptable to go to therapy. Um, You know, my mother always said that you just pray more, Um, which you do, you do. But there are times when there needs to be, you know, medication and therapy, and those things work hand in hand. Um, it just it sometimes feels more of a shameful and condemning thing to to say that there's there are issues, whether they're the mental issues or the physical issues, because I want to always feel capable, and I want people to look at me as capable. But a lot of times I push myself to the point of having to be in bed for three days with pain because I do too much. Because when you ask someone, when you meet someone, the first thing you ask is what do they do? And that becomes your identity. And if you're not able to do that to the best of your, or to someone else's expectation of your ability, it makes you feel less than. So I guess that's why, you know, I kind of keep those things close to my chest unless I have to.
4: Thank you. darling. what is your your sense of particularly disclosure and how employees can disclose their disabilities to organizations and- um...
1: Absolutely, thank you so much, uh, Shuri. And so for me, It was a little bit different. My, I had a fear in the beginning, um, especially after my eyesight began to come back and I began to look for employment. My fear in the beginning was um, disclosing the fact that I could not drive at night nor in the rain. And especially with the nature of the work that, that I do, so it, that was was a fear for me, and you know Amanda is right, um, and Jennifer, you know they're right. You, you have to get to a place of vulnerability to feel comfortable enough to say, "Hey, this is what what it is, and 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 this is what I'm struggling with." Uh, but for me, once I was able to land an opportunity. I still in that interviewing process did not reveal, you know, my challenges. I said, I'm just going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. It's kind of like that, ashamed piece, you know, you're going to hold it to yourself and you're, you're going to say, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. And I believe that the more that I got comfortable with the new norm for me, the more that I got comfortable with saying, okay, this is what it is i am not going to allow it to determine what i do and who i continue to become it is just a part of who i am so i'm just gonna clump it up with everything else i begin to be very honest and very vocal to my employer my board my advisory board members to say hey listen Here's my challenges. I lost my eyesight. I have some depth perception issues. I can't drive in the rain. So although we have a meeting, if it rains tomorrow, I'll call you. (laughs) Well, you know, it will switch it to a conference call. And so I just went into a mode of just literally going from being non-vulnerable to just saying, you know what, it's too much energy and it's too much stress trying to keep it to myself and deal with it on my own and and adhere to other people's expectations of what is and what isn't when I know what my limitations are and aren't so at this point whatever. So I just began to just say, this is what it is. And do you have a problem with it? And if you have a problem with it, then let me know because then it took the burden off of me. And I think that that's what we, when you, when you start looking at individuals with disabilities, that is the biggest piece. We are so concerned sometimes and so worried about what others, what place others are going to put us in and what others are going to think about us or what others, what limitations others are going to put on us. And I think that if we begin to flip the mindset to say, this is my stuff, I own it and you're not gonna own it for me. I'm gonna tell you what it is and this is what it is. So either we're gonna work it out or we're not. And so that takes the stress off of us. And so I think that we have to get more comfortable with just owning who we are and owning our intersectionality and understanding that that is just a piece of us. That is not us in our totality. Um, It is just a piece of who we are. And if everyone were to look out of the lens of intersectionality, then they would be able to see some of their own stuff. (laughs) And then we can all just get past our stuff and work together collectively for the greater good of the whole. And so when you compare that to COVID-19 and what COVID-19 has done, it has literally caused society to pause and take a deeper look into the vulnerable. And how they have been impacted due to social determinants of health and you know, socioeconomics and you know, lack of equity, you know, across this country. And so when you look at all of those things, the reckoning on race, that's a disability within it itself, you know, that that minorities have to deal with. And so when you look at all of those things that COVID has brought out, it has literally caused the world to take us to stop and look, to stop and take a look at our most vulnerable populations. And that includes those and in us with disabilities, that includes the LGBT community, that includes Asians, that includes Latinas, that includes the health disparities, uh, the socioeconomic gaps, the wealth gaps, African-Americans, black people, it includes it all. And so it, it, it has caused people to say, you know what? Equality is not equity. And how do we get to now beginning to give people what they need in order to survive and in order to advance and in order to be successful? in order to grow. And that's what this all is, is all about. And so that's why I love you know, being bold about who I am and all the pieces and components of me um, because they are what make, make, make up me. And I think that it helps organizations to become better organizations when people are honest with them about who they are and what their challenges are.
4: That is fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing that, Darlene. Jennifer?
2: I agree with a lot of what Darlene said. I think it was really well spoken. Um, for, for me with mental health, I think there are a lot of preconceived notions about people with mental health issues. So I think whereas physical disabilities often tend to create this sense of empathy from others, when you acknowledge that you have a mental illness to others, you tend to see this sort of like fear or uncertainty around you know, who you are to them. (laughs) Uh, And I actually had a different perspective. My mother had a serious mental illness growing up um, long before I developed my own mental health issues. And I had seen how people treated her and talked about her when she wasn't around. So I actually had a a lot of that self-stigmatization in my mind, but um, I also recognized that that prevented her from getting the help she needed. So I understood the concept of shame around mental illness really early on. I'm going to tell a story, which I'm embarrassed about, but hopefully it it means something. Uh, I remember as a a young child, probably like four or five, a child asked me, you know, where's your mom? Because I I was living with my father. My mother was um, no longer in custody of us. And um, I would tell people that my mother was dead. And I'm terribly ashamed of that now, but I think it says something about even children picked up on this sense from the adults in the room that we don't talk about this to others. This is something shameful. And as a result, I hid my mental illness from others for a really long time as well when I got sick. I took my medications, I used all the support things that my mother didn't do saying i'm not going to be like her i'm going to i 'm going to get through this illness and be a functional person um, but I still had that shame. but when I did begin to be open with others, I just found so many people were struggling with the same shame um, so again, another sort of personal story, but I work in a fairly small office environment at the time and when I was open, people started to come to me and, and sit in my cubicle and say, Hey, I'm not doing okay. How do I make use of the benefits that we have here? Or hey, um, my daughter is seriously mentally ill and I'm not sure what to do to get her help because the mental health system is so broken and they just weren't sure the process, right? It's complex. How do you involuntarily commit someone? What kind of doctors do you need? How do you get someone that doesn't want help? Help. So as I became more open about it. It became a powerful motivator for me, knowing that I was a bit of a lighthouse for some other people that were struggling in the darkness still. And I think that that has been so important for me to say, I'm willing to sacrifice the potential for career to know that other people can come forward and say, I'm having a hard time, I need help. And there's no way to live life. I mean, illness like mental illness is so isolating, Um, and the the fewer social anchors you have, and the more isolated you are. worse it is, and I know this very well, I tend to self-isolate when I'm ill. Um, So being open about it and knowing the risks of being open about it, I think it was a good thing for me because it also allowed people, again, that vulnerability to help me. There's something to be said for being, um, you know, when you're weak, you're strong, right? So that's that's been important. So I
0: want to kind of just jump in a little bit here because disclosure can be so difficult, whether it is a mental illness or some hidden disability. Um, Full disclosure, I know for myself, when I do presentations and training for years, I had no problem talking about Meniere's disease or the hearing loss or the sciatica or the carpal tunnel. And it wasn't until 2018 on a training, it was my very first time disclosing anxiety and depression. All of those little things, they cause you to not feel like you can be you because you're being judged. Or if you do something a little bit different, that people are like, I wonder if that's because of X. You know, is she that way because she has that diagnosis? So it's still unfortunate that hidden disabilities and especially mental illness are so stigmatized and people have such negative views of them when, um, a little stat for you, for most organizations that offer any type of healthcare coverage, the number one and number two prescriptions that the company is paying for are antidepressants and anti-anxieties. So that means you have a lot of people with mental illness because anxiety and depression is a mental illness. So I just, I don't know, you were, you guys were talking and I'm like, I so understand, I get this because those are a lot of concerns. Like, I don't want people to know. I don't care so much now, but I've had my diagnosis except for the OCD since like 2008. And it was, it was 10 years before I said anything publicly. And if you say things like, oh, you know, I'm just an anxious person. It's just, I'm an anxious person not, I I have or I'm diagnosed with anxiety. So I, I truly understand that. And I will say for us, we are superheroes in feeling comfortable to talk about all of our diagnosis and disabilities, to be confident that we are still able to do what we do, do it well, and have barriers and push through those struggles to still be successful people in the workplace. And there's so many more superheroes out there, not to put any of us on a pedestal, but this takes work to be able to overcome, you know, how am I gonna get to this meeting if, if it's raining? And that on top of just getting to a meeting or dealing with the physical issues and being down for days. And I've witnessed that with Amanda, doing pushing so much on, on Sunday that she can't function again until Thursday and just the, the, the weight of, I have to make sure I take my medicine, I gotta make sure I'm eating well, I'm sleeping well, I'm not getting too stressed out. Um, and that overwhelming factor that can come from any type of mental illness is, I mean, it's like you're living your daily life and then you have this on top of it and it takes work. So I hope we can be inspirations to other people that might be listening that it can be done. It's not the end of the road, it can be done. But you have to acknowledge it, accept it, and kind of figure out how you're going to make it work for you.
4: Thank you for joining us for the first episode of Abilities, Opportunities, and the Future of Work. This conversation continues in Episode 2. So be sure to download that episode whenever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to subscribe to be alerted to future episodes. We want to take this opportunity to thank many individuals who have helped us kickstart this podcast. We especially want to thank our colleagues at the Southeast Michigan Employee Resource Group who helped and participated in several brainstorming sessions, offering their advice and helping us plan this project. We also want to thank individuals at Michigan State University that helped in reviewing the podcast content and questions. We want to thank our guests, Darlene King from the National Diversity Council, Amanda Hines from Genesis The Church, and Jennifer Zapp from Comcast. Finally, last but not the least, we want to thank our ABLE podcast editor, Tyler Grass from Michigan Rehabilitation Services. This is Sriram Narayanan at Michigan State University here with my co-host Natasha Ely with the Business Network Division of Michigan Rehabilitation Services. We want to remind our listeners that this podcast is a commercial-free community initiative. Just to mention, if you have any ideas, thoughts you want to share that directly are related to the topic of abilities, opportunities, and future of work, please do consider reaching out. Uh, Thank you for listening to our podcast. Until the next episode, when our conversation continues, remember to laugh at the small stuff.
0: We have three chat, see, just like that.
2: (laughs) I let you at first because I was so anxious about it.
0: (laughs) So let me start off and mess up so y'all can laugh and debrief and feel okay about this.